Should we just start? Should we just your butt? That's rude. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just my butt. There's more to me as a person. Not much more, though. Listen. This is Your Mom Rides Books. I'm Caitlin McFarland. And I'm your mom. Surprise, honey. <laughs> I'm Charlie and Humbert. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that lie I said about your mom. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to think of something clever and nothing came to my head. <laughs> Just just no thoughts. Uh yep. Empty head, no thoughts. Uh, <laughs> listen, guys, today we want to talk to you about magic systems. Yeah. It's the one I've been avoiding forever because I teach this a lot and I'm yes. sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie is pretty well known locally for teaching this at conferences. And we're both fantasy authors who've been to a lot of conferences. So I've been to a lot of magic system classes. So we've had a few people like, hey, you guys should do magic systems. And we're just like, nah. what do we want to talk about i don't feel like prepping anything so it's gonna be magic systems it's time it's time time. today is the time so that's what we are here to talk to you guys about today and thanks in part to something that new that uh we have come across that has made it interesting i guess we'll just dive in with this uh my friend I was talking to a friend of mine who's a dungeon master who plays D&D, and he was telling me these questions um, that he had, this kind of these kind of questions he was answering to build his world. And I was like, that sounds really cool. I haven't heard those, even though I've also been to a million world building classes. Right. Where'd you get those questions? And he told me he got it from the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide which is a book that you can get on Amazon and it's, I think it's free on Kindle unlimited. Is that right? I'm not sure if it is. I don't know. I bought the paperback. So Caitlin called me just Mm -hmm. raving about this book and it sounded (laughs) so cool. I bought a copy too. And it's sitting by my bed waiting for me. I have not cracked it open yet though. Yes. And it is, it's specifically tailored to building worlds for tabletop role-playing games. However, uh, I think it is quite useful for a novelist because I will say in all of, and maybe you guys have already heard of it or whatever, maybe you're better than me. But um, what I like about this is that in world building classes, a lot of the times the things that we hear are like, here's what you need to do to think of like your economy and your religions and your blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of building the world. But this book will ask questions like, let's find one. Um, this is not sponsored, by the way. Oh, yeah. This is not sponsored. This is just no, us you... genuinely liking a thing. Yes. Uh, though if this, this, you know, look, we take it. Okay. So this book asks, asks questions like, what major event in this world's history is largely remembered inaccurately? Which I just love because it's mm. like not, it's not what major events exist in this world's history. It's how do people, what I like about these questions is a lot of them are geared towards how do people interact with the world? Anyways, so that's my spiel for this book, but um, there is part of it. um, Oh, and this book is divided into, sorry if you guys can hear me turning pages, but this book is divided into five chapters. And so it covers world building for fantasy, 
in chapter one and then sci-fi chapter two it does also horror and then it does it's what's called x-punk which i assume is like cyberpunk or steampunk or you know whatever um so punk stuff and then chapter five is like neutral where it just has a bunch of miscellaneous questions that will apply to anything so that sounds exciting to you Huh? I, want to, I want to read the horror chapter. That sounds I know, cool. right? I'm going to for sure. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. But they have a section on magic that I thought was also interesting because it had a couple of things in there that weren't covered um, in yeah, a lot there of things the magic that I had classes. never like really thought of or heard of. And I thought it was really cool. That's probably mm-hmm. the reason I got it. <laughs> yes. The magic stuff. Yeah. But. So we don't want to give too much away because, you know, if you guys like this, we, we love you guys. The author is James. D'Amato? I don't know. Or D'Amato. James, um, you can pay us if you want us to talk about it every podcast. <laughs> that's fine. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so that's the author. It's on it's on Amazon. Uh, you maybe could find it at a local store, but I don't know. Um, and it, I do think it's free on Kindle Unlimited, but I wanted to be able to actually write and, and mark it up. So I got the paperback. It was yeah. like, what, 12 or 15? So it has spaces to write in it, right? Yes. Right, 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 right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we don't want to give away too much of this book because we'd love you guys to support this author. Um, But I just wanted to go through, um, he has a section in here called Making Magic and it's in the first chapter and it's in the fantasy chapter. And he divides it into six aspects. So we're just going to like talk about those. Um, And some of them are common from other like magic classes. Like he has cost, right? Which is something that I know Charlie talks about in her classes and and Brandon Sanderson talks about in his classes. But his six aspects are source, cost, potency, commonality, commonality and accessibility. Sorry, that's one thing. And then pillars of mastery. And then he has this for each path of magic you choose to create. So he's like, you can do this and then have like three different magic systems, but you do this for each one. And, and that's like the part that I think is really like this making magic section is really great. And we're just going to talk about the aspects. We're not going to talk about the paths because he does have specific things for those paths and stuff. So if you guys want to read that, I definitely highly recommend this book. Yeah. Um, I really like the whole potency thing because that's 100% mm -hmm. something like we see in magic systems like some people just aren't as strong as other people like why yes. like oh potency like that should be a column in this workshop i make people do yes yeah so we're i'm just gonna run through really quick because charlie has a ton of stuff that she's gonna talk about too so i just want to run through really quick like what these are um and so you guys know so you can take these into consideration when you're building your own magic system so source is of course just where the magic comes from yeah um, i was always called that like how do you acquire it but source makes it a lot better it's it's just a one word just yeah, yeah. It's, um, the acquiring yes um so in here he says things like you know it can come from objects of power it can come from sacred sites can be um it can exist in all things at all times. So yeah, source is just where your magic comes from. Here, let me let me go off of that too. So mm-hmm. what the big ones that I could think of, um, a really popular one is that it's inherited. It's in your family line. It's in your genealogy. Yes, it's in your blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another one is your magic is species specific. So if you're an elf, you have these powers. If you're a vampire, you have these powers. Mm-hmm. Um, with vampire, there's infection. So, like, you're bit by a vampire, you're bit by a werewolf, you're bit by a spider. <laughs> like, you yeah. are infected, you get powers. 
um, mutation or accident. This is really popular with superheroes. Superheroes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always think of the Fantastic Four, how they got that solar flare, they mutated, they got superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, one is free choice. This is what I did with the Paper Magician. I made magic just something that you can study along with anything. Like if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a magician, you just pick. Which I kind of love. It's like, because it, it almost makes it more like science. It's like, well, science is just exists and you can study it if you want to. Yeah. And do things with it and make technology and stuff. And and I don't think we see that very often. I want to say the Paper Magician is one of the only times I've seen magic where it's just like, well, if you want to be a magician, you just be one. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, there's always magical talismans. Like, if you have the magic talisman, then you can mm-hmm. do magic with the magic talisman. And then sometimes it's random. And I could be wrong on this. It's been a while since I've read it. But guess what? We're talking about the Wheel of Time again. Um, That's because the trailer just came out and it looks pretty cool. It's so good! (laughs) Where are they coming for you? Um, But where in the Wheel of Time, it seems like just absolutely random who has magic and who doesn't. And who's strong in the magic and who isn't. It seems just Mm -hmm. completely random. Yeah. I think it's like, if I remember the Wheel of Time right, I think it's a little bit connected to your ancestry but it's also random it's like you know it's kind of like having blue eyes if you lived in an area with more blue-eyed people then you might end up with blue eyes but most people still don't have it i don't know does that make sense yeah Um, because it's recessive or something yeah because i think that there aren't there more magic users from the area where the main characters are like from that you see ancient kingdom yeah yeah so that's Anyways, look, we don't need to go into depth on what Caitlin remembers from the Wheel of Time because it's really not much. Hey, listen, when <laughs> it comes out, though, we're doing an episode where we just talk about the Wheel of Time. Oh, for sure. We're <laughs> absolutely going to do that because... I'll just be like, land this, land this. Then he inhaled, then he stood up straight, and then he straightened even more. <laughs> I'm just going to do, do a play-by-play for every movement land makes. And then Charlie fainted. An episode one. Okay, sorry, you keep going. And I was like, Charlie, it's two minutes in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, okay, so that was source. So then next, uh, he talks about cost. And this is something, like I said, that uh, Sanderson talks about a lot and Charlie talks about a lot because it is such a good way to introduce conflict or mm-hmm. stakes or consequences into a story is the cost of magic. Um, and so he, uh, what... I'm just going to say D'Amato. I think that's a, so what D'Amato says is that he, he says cost puts critical limitations on magic, which I think is a really good definition of cost. Mm-hmm. Does he separate cost from fuel? Um, I think fuel could be p- potentially in the accessibility category. Probably. Uh, but not really. Okay. So why so, don't you go ahead and talk about that? So, yeah, I always separate these two things because you can have both and have them be separate. So a cost is like the toll taken for the magic. Like the really popular one is you do magic and it makes you tired, right? Yes. That's a super popular one. I did magic. I did too much magic. I'm going to pass out. I did magic. I need to sit down for a minute. It's just super popular because we can all relate to it. Whenever we exert ourselves, we get tired. So it's it's an easy one to relate to. Or maybe when you do magic, you lose years off your life. Or when you do magic, you fingernails fall off. <laughs> hey, that's actually kind of <laughs> cool. And then you have to wait for them all to grow back. Oh, well, you always like weird body stuff okay, with your on. magic. <laughs> oh, she's writing it down. <laughs> that's gross. Kinda, it's gross, but it's cool. 
Then you can uh, only do like 10 spells a month or something. Well, you do 20. Or 20. If 20. toenails count. Just kidding. Or you could be there are toenail magicians and then there's fingernail magicians. Ew, gross. Stop gross. it. Now imagine eating somebody's fingernails. Ew, stop it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay. Who, who, who wants to be Charlie's no, no, friend? No, no, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's. Look, friend for sale. Just kidding. <laughs> So that's the the toll taken, which is the cost. Whereas the fuel need is like, what do you need to do magic? And sometimes you don't have to have this and sometimes you do. So you could just be a wizard. You just do magic because that's how you are. Like, I don't think yeah. Gandalf needed fuel. Whereas if you go, I always talk about Mistborn when I talk about magic systems. When you go mm-hmm. into Mistborn, they cannot do magic unless they have the correct metal alloy in their stomach. So they have to eat this metal alloy, which is the fuel needed in order to do the magic. Right. But then what's the cost of the magic? Do they get tired? I don't remember. It's been too long since I've read it. Look, I'm going to make a D&D analogy. It's happening. If you want to understand me, you have to understand D&D. <laughs> the cost of magic is like a spell slot. The fuel of magic is like a spell component. There you, you go. Both. You need you need the twig spell. of sage to cast the spell, and after and... you cast the spell, you're really itchy. <laughs> and so the itch is the cost, and the sage is the fuel. Yes, and you could. I mean, you could technically just have one or the other, right? Like you can just have one or the other if you want. It's like yeah. if you want to go really in depth, if you want more areas for conflict, you can have both. Because mm-hmm. not only do you have to worry about the cost, but if you don't have the fuel on hand, then you also can't use your magic. So yes. it's just, it's a, it's a method to have more conflict. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you were doing like, say like a really witchy magic system where it's mostly component based, like everything is component based, you have to have the right ingredients for magic and it's more like cooking than magic. Then yeah, I could see that not necessarily taking energy out of you or something. Cause it just takes energy from those objects. Mm-hmm. So that and would just know, be a fuel instead of a cost. I've, I'm like thinking about, cause you said cooking and made me think of magic bitter, magic sweet. And I don't think mm-hmm. I have either. In that there isn't a fuel or a cost to her magic. Well, she has to bake to do it, doesn't she? She does have to bake to do it. But so like she has to have the components for baking. I guess that's true. That is yeah. true. Okay. And 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 if fuel costs money, I mean fuel is still kind of I can see why you put those together, because they're definitely very closely intertwined, I think. If your fuel costs money. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. Potency is the next thing on this list. Um, and it is like the strength and effectiveness of magic. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't really, this one is kind of a short section, but yeah, it's the strength and effectiveness Mm -hmm. of magic is what he says here. So it's just kind of like how, how strong is magic in your world? So you'll have stories. If your story is more of a magical realism story, you may not have magic that necessarily can do gigantic things. I remember reading a book one time and I don't remember... Maybe you guys will know. I just remember that in this in this book, and I think it was written by like a classic 90s fantasy author, and there were like elves, I believe, and their power was differentiated based on whether they were male or female. And the male elves could do all this big, strong, showy magic, and the female elves could just do like little magic, like just like little subtle magic, and like they could like change their appearance or you know, like just like affect small things, but basically what this is spoilers for this book that I don't know what it is. So (laughs) sorry, but like what the, the, the female, the girl elf who is one of the main characters or side, like a main, a big side character basically realized that 
because her father was super abusive and he was the bad guy. And so she realized that she could use her small magic. Yeah, like she couldn't set him on fire or make his head explode or anything like that. But she could stop his heart. She could do that with her like little magic. So even though it was super limited, she could still affect the world in that way. And so that I think is kind of a good example Mm -hmm. because I think the male elves could do this like big earth moving magic or make big fire. I don't know. They had like war magic or I don't know something. Mm -hmm. And the women just had these smaller magics, but yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of um, Brian McClellan's God glass series, which isn't out yet. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) But uh, No, he has people in there where you can control glass. And uh-huh. you, he has characters who can only control like this minuscule bead of glass, and then uh-huh. ca- characters who can like kill like whole armies by throwing glass at them. And it's interesting; mm-hmm. it's always interesting to play with both ends of a spectrum in a magic system because mm-hmm. this other gal, like, yeah, she can't like kill a bunch of people, but she can unlock locks by putting a little bead of glass in the lock and moving it around. You know, yeah. like she's just you learn to use her glass magic in a completely different way from like what the main character can do. Yeah. Sometimes this is what I love about magic systems. And this is what I think I wish more people would play with. Um, And I think it is something more that epic fantasy authors like to do is play with both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Because on the one side, you'll in a lot of like big fantasy, you'll have like the gods doing stuff, but then you'll have this person who can control a single bead of glass and unlock a door, or you could kill somebody with a single bead of glass if oh, you yeah. shoot it like a bullet through their <laughs> something. Um, like we've all seen X two, yeah, the original X Men two movie. <laughs> well, I'm thinking also of that uh, Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Like his power is not huge yeah. compared to other people, but he controls that one arrow. But man, He's, he can. Oh, Oh man, I wish I'd yeah. come up with that though. That was so cool. Yeah, it was pretty. It's cool. all by whistles too. Like who's like mm-hmm. I know he can control one arrow with a with his mohawk, but he has to whistle to do it. And it's like that sounds so funny, but it's so cool. That's a that's yeah that's a magic system, guys. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, you can do a lot of different stuff with potency, and I think it is fun to play with smaller potencies, uh, but realize you can still do a lot with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next one was commonality and accessibility as one thing, because um, it says these are two different but related aspects that shape who understands, controls, and uses magic in a setting. So this is also super important and not the something that, I think it's something we kind of discussed, like in world building or magic systems mm-hmm. classes, but um, it's really important to know who has access to magic, how common is it. So in the book that I'm working on, something that I'm doing with it is like, the church has magic and I'm doing a thing where it's like the church is, it will allow you to give a generous donation. And if you do that, then, then all of a sudden they have the ability to heal, to do healing for you when you need it. And so it's kind of like the church has it, but only the wealthy can really access it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's totally not a commentary. Um <laughs> No, like I have that too, because like in the Spellbreaker series, it's like the wealthy, especially wealthy men have uh-huh. access to magic. It's kind of like that in Paper Magician, just because it's just like getting a PhD. It does cost a lot of money. You get student loans, you know? Yeah. And, and it's also the thing that where it's like, oh, d- or does everyone just have magic and it saturates your world and it's not that big of a deal? Yeah. Which I also like, I feel like you see so many low magic settings these days that I'm like, I'm ready for like a more high magic setting to see what happens yeah. when you do that. Would you um, explain and, low and high magic? Yeah. So a low magic setting would be like Game of Thrones, 
where there's hardly like most people are living their lives without magic. Magic exists in the world, but it's either so obscure or so hard to access or so ununderstood. That's not a word. (laughs) What's a word? It is now. Uh, so, um, arcane, I don't know that are mysterious that like normal people living their daily lives don't have access to it. So they're just kind of living normal person life. Um, a high magic setting would be like, everyone's got a little bit of, or not, it doesn't even have to be like this. It's just magic is everywhere. It's, is ubiquitous? Is that the correct usage of that word? <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's everywhere. Um, people are used to seeing it. It's not a big deal. It has kind of deeply sunk into culture and technology and stuff in a way that like, yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal for people to see it. Everyone knows it exists. And, uh, you know, people generally may like, you know, people more or less have access to it. Maybe not everybody, but like a lot of people, if that makes sense. Um, something I want to point out with this is that the more common your magic is, the more accepted it's going to be by society. And the mm-hmm. less common it is, the more feared it's going to be by society because people don't understand it. So if yes. you want to write the story where you have the magic user being chased down by like the police or the, the bounty hunters or whatever, you're going to want a more rare magic system. Mm-hmm. Or whereas if you want it permeating like all of your world building, it's going to be a more common world common magic system i can speak it's fine yeah and that's also part of this section so yes jokes on you james i already knew that (laughs) come on james just kidding james you're great and we appreciate you so yeah that's from this book and again i just want to say like it's pretty cool and as somebody who writes books it's not something that i've seen in a lot of book novel writing classes that have been taught he approaches it from a kind of a different perspective that I think is very cool and useful and will allow you to create a world that feels um, not just like awesome, but also lived in, which I think is such an, a difference between good fantasy and great fantasy, a great book in a great book, your world feels rich and lived in. And I think mm-hmm. that this would help create that. And maybe we'll do a world building class and talk about a few more aspects of this, but we probably should. Oh my a world gosh. building episode. I we mean, you talk about world building for fifty million years. Uh, well, maybe we'll do a series of world building episodes. <laughs> Season three is all world building. Have fun. Just world building. Yeah, I mean, we could. Jeez. Hey, we're talking about oligarchies. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Look, no. Somebody who does have great world building uh, YouTube video though is Hello Future Me on YouTube. He has a really good world building one oh. that he talks about Avatar, um, the Last Airbender series, and their world building. And I love them. all their animals. It's just two animals shoved together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a rat cat. <laughs> it's a possum coon. Like they just oh take gosh. two things together. Yes. So okay. So we're gonna. I feel like you can't talk about magic systems and fantasy worlds without talking about Sanderson's laws of magic. Okay. So I feel like Sanderson is like the best magic system creator ever. I will say, man, I get, so it's just a lot in the, what's his, what's his new book series called? Stormlight Archive. Stormlight Archive is so good. It is so big. (laughs) Like the magic system is so big and I've read all the books and I still am just like, okay. But, like, he writes it in such a good way. I was like, I don't even understand everything, but I understand the story, if that makes sense. Anyway, that's a tangent. But Brandon Sanderson has basically written essays on his three laws of magic. And I think that they are very applicable 
regardless of whether you're writing um, what I call a limited magic system or an unlimited magic system, a limited magic system being much more scientific, very set in rules. This is what Brandon Sanderson writes are limited magic systems versus mm-hmm. unlimited magic systems, which are very more Lord free. of the Rings. Lord of, yeah. yeah, Lord of the Rings, Howl's Moving Castle, like mm-hmm. wizard spell books, like just very open magic like that. Well, if you, you could do a very limited system with wizards and spell books. Yeah. I would say that's can. in the middle. Well, it depends, right? So number one is an author's ability to solve conflict satisfactorily with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Mm -hmm. So if you have magic in your world as just a world building device, great. That's pretty move on. If you are going to create plot conflict with magic and solve plot conflict with magic, we absolutely have to know how the magic works if you're going to do that. So Harry Potter at the end of the book can't, just pull a random spell out of his butt and defeat the bad guy that we've, you know, like a spell we've never seen before. But if there's a spell, say, okay, it's been a long time since I've read Harry Potter. If there's a spell <laughs> that turns amphibians into sand and he goes, uh-huh. amphibisand, and it turns into sand, it seems like a completely useless thing, okay? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. And like, you see it a couple of times. It's like the Chekhov's gun rule, right? You see it a couple of times with the story. And it seems pretty useless. Mm-hmm. And then um, he's fighting Voldemort. And at one point, Voldemort turns into a giant salamander. I was about to say a snake, but a snake's not an amphibian. Like, like, to, like if he's shape-shifting, and he tur- there's one moment where he turns into a salamander. And then Harry's like, <gasps> and he uses amphibisand and turns him into sand. It's great. Like, we know how that works. It's awesome. Yeah. Which I will say, that is how J.K. Rowling structures her. That's what she does. I don't know if you guys have ever, like, noticed that. But she will always include, like, in the first part of the book, there will always be some conflict where she sets up the spells or creatures or whatever that that are going to become relevant later in the book. Mm-hmm. She does that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, does she do it with unicorns in one of the books? It's been <sighs> so long. Well, unicorns are kind of a, yeah, I guess in the first few books, they're kind of relevant. Uh, she does it with, what I'm thinking of is gnomes. Oh. I don't remember where they, I don't remember how it comes into play. Or no, Harry's getting rid of gnomes. I think he has to use a certain spell to get rid of the gnomes in the garden that becomes relevant later or something. All I remember is that she describes the gnomes as having heads that look like potatoes and they bite. And I just think that that's really funny. That is funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. But I mean, and that doesn't mean, so another example, it's like, you don't have to have that magic there. So let's use Avatar last airbender, right? So in Avatar, Aang is an airbender. He has to learn all of the elements to, I don't remember what he does at the end, (laughs) but yeah, to beat the bad guy. Okay. And so air, the opposite of air is earth. So earth is the hardest one for him to learn. Okay. So throughout the series, he's learning water. He's learning fire. And he needs to learn Earth, and he is struggling to learn Earth. But we still see him taking the lessons. We see him him be like, oh, you have to do A, B, and C to, to learn Earth. And he's trying to, and it just doesn't work. And then when he fights the big bad guy, then it finally clicks how Earth magic works. And he uses Earth magic for the first time to beat the bad guy. That's okay, because... We have already learned about how that earth magic would work. And we have seen that he has done what needs to be done. Whereas Mm -hmm. if he was just like, I've mastered everything. I've never even touched earth magic. But now, giant pillar, you're dead. Like that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Oh, that was one thing that we actually didn't touch on because it wasn't in the right. It was, I didn't see it. 
Pillars of Mastery uh, we didn't talk about, but it's basically like the levels that your character has to progress through, Mm -hmm. like the set levels. Like I think in Spellbreaker, don't they have to like buy the spell and then they have to like write it down and they only have so many spells or something like that, Mm -hmm. like in them? Yeah. And in like like Harry Potter, you go through years of school, right? And then you graduate from school. Trying to think of another big... I'm just thinking of Karate Kid. Like you have to master polishing the car. Or in the windows before yes. you can master karate. Yeah, or in the Wheel of Time that has that's also like the Aes Sedai have very specific like like levels that they mm-hmm. get like you, they have to pass a series of tests to advance. Yes. So those are your pillars of mastery, like how you know that your magic users have reached ex like what it's what separates an expert from a novice, basically. Yeah. Right, carry on. No, that's good. Um, his second law of magic is that limitations are greater than powers. And what do we mean by that is that the limitations or the conflict with the magic is more interesting to the story and to the reader than what the magic actually does. So yeah, it's really cool to throw fire, but if you can only throw fire during the day because your fuel is sunlight and then the big bad battle happens at night, that is what's interesting. It's like, well, how are they going to do it now? That's what makes it interesting is that limitation, not necessarily, oh, I can throw fire. Yeah. And that is, I think, something that um, as a novice, a lot of people, like novice writers or novice uh, world builders or whatever, like need to learn is that it's that, that the limitations are more interesting and demand more creativity from you than the, like the actual powers themselves. Well, just like you were saying, with Brian McClellan's new books that are coming out, like I'm kind of more interested to see what the person with a single glass bead can do. Like, yeah, of course a person who can control a bunch of glass can kill an army, but like, you know, like how are you and like, and what Brandon Sanderson does with like, cause doesn't he have them like in Mistborn, he has people like using coins to kind of fly. Doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you can either push or pull on metal. So if you can put a coin down on the ground, like mm-hmm. that, the force it would take to push that coin through the ground is more than what you weigh. So if you push on it, it'll send you up. Exactly. Yeah. It's very physics-y. Yes. Yeah. So like that to me is a really fun way to go about doing magic. I've never gotten that involved in a magic system, but like thinking about actual real world physics when you're creating it is kind of a very fun way to make it feel like integrated into your world and and real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The third one is expand what you already have before you add something new. So I think this is especially relevant for a series. Mm -hmm. If you have a magic system, you're writing multiple books under that magic system and you want to do more with the magic to make it more interesting. See if you, you have A, B, and C in your magic system. See what you can do within A, B, and C before you tack on D. Yeah. So again, let's talk about Mistborn. Guys, if you haven't read Mistborn and you're interested in magic systems, just read the very first Mistborn book. It's so good. But the whole series is great. Well, Mistborn is such a great case study for creating magic systems, for hard magic systems, for how to create multiple magic systems that do mm-hmm. that do different things and how those can interact with each other. Mistborn is a really good series for that. I mean, Sanderson has done incredible things yeah so yeah the, the magic system there's technically three magic systems in Mistborn, but they're all very woven together because they're all based on metal and you have people who ingest metal people who wear metal and people who pierce themselves with metal but we'll talk about the first two so you have the alamancers who are the people who eat magic eat magic eat metal and they do magic and then you have the ferrochemists who are the people who wear magic oh my gosh wear metal and do magic <laughs> 
I love to wear magic. It's my favorite. Okay. Anyway, yes. sorry. So you get it. Um, and so the way that I have to just explain this really quick. The way that the Faroka Mist magic works, though, is that they store stuff in the metal to use later. So you can store your weight in a metal bracelet. And so you're just walking around very light-footed. So you're a 200-pound guy who is walking around like you weigh 75 pounds and all Mm -hmm. that extra weight you're storing. And then when this train is about to run over a baby, you step in front of the train, you tap into your bracelet, all that weight comes back into you and suddenly you weigh like 10,000 pounds and you stop the train. So... And you murder everyone on it, but the baby is safe. <laughs> but the baby is safe. It's a it's a freight train. It's fine. Um, so he did three books with that magic system. And he has these, again, like these three metal magics. So he just made a new, what do you call a four book series? <laughs> Quadrology? Quadrology? I don't know. <laughs> you call it a four book series. <laughs> yeah. So he made another set of Mistborn books that takes place 300 years later. And instead Mm. of adding on a fourth metal-based magic system, what he did is he had all the Alamancers and the Ferrochimists have babies. And so now you have people who can do both in jest and um, wear the bracelet. And so I think, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I've read. Um, His main character, Wax, he, I think, can do the weight thing with a bracelet. And Mm -hmm. then he can, like, push like push on metal. So the pushing on the coin. And so if there's like, I don't know, a flimsy signpost, right? And he wants to go left really fast. If he pushes on that signpost, he weighs more than that signpost. That signpost is going to bend. But he's like, mm-hmm. so he can just ta- put his weight into the bracelet, make himself weigh way less. And then he can fly. You know, it's just like a really great way to mess with physics, but in a new way using familiar things. Yeah. And we should say Sanderson has so many different aspects going into these magic systems, though. So he has like the 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 bloodline aspect, right, where it's like certain people can only certain people can do this. And we don't really know where it comes from, but it's more common in certain like races or whatever, or geographical areas or something like that. And gosh, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And then he has like each each of his systems has like uh, ability X, Y, Z. So like if you're an, what is it? An Alamancer? You, there are like pff, how many different metals that you There's could like eat? Six or to eight. Yeah. And, but you probably, you may only have the ability to burn one of the metals yeah. or two or three. So right. And so can do all of them, but then there's a lot of people who yeah. can only do two. So if you bur- burn pewter, you have super strength. And if you yeah. burn like, I don't know, one kind of metal you can push on metal. If you burn another mm-hmm. one, you can pull on metal. So you can do one or the other. It's which yeah. is really and, interesting. Yeah, but also here's what I'd like to say about Sanderson is that he, what else he did was he did all this, but he stuck with a kind of one theme, which was metal, right? And so that also gives it this really unifying aspect. It's just a really... Look, I will get on a lot of <laughs> current uh, authors for writing like fantasy, right? Like male fantasy that's, you know, whatever. But like the magic system that he came up with is definitely worth studying because yes. there are so many things that you can take from it and so many ways that you can analyze it and say, oh, okay, this is why this is so cool. It is pretty brilliant. So, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and so I want to talk about one other thing to that. So we've talked about ways to introduce conflict into magic systems we've talked about like cost and fuel and pillars and potency but there's also weaknesses 
So does the magic have a weakness? Again, you don't have to have this, but it is another way to introduce conflict into a magic system. So when I say weakness, I mean, what is hindering or nullifying the magic? And the first thing that I would think of is kryptonite. Kryptonite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, because Superman was so strong, they had to make this weird rock that somehow yeah. all the bad guys can get. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not a Superman fan, guys. The magic system in Superman is stupid. Um, but so what is the kryptonite? of the magic system so mm -hmm. i can do magic unless i eat carbs today <laughs> like, so carbs would be i don't know what you're talking about charlie carbs are the source of my they magic are, they are <laughs> first thing came to my mind um uh -huh. or i can only do magic if i am between the temperatures of 70 and 90 degrees <laughs> like if it's too hot or it's too cold i can't do magic you know like like that would mean like the winter is your enemy um, mm -hmm. so like, what is the weakness of the match? And you can have a fuel and a cost and a weakness and all this other stuff. It does yeah. make it a more complex and bigger magic system, but you can mm -hmm. do it. I think it takes a lot of very thoughtful consideration of how those things would interact, which again, like San Sanderson did. And that's, what's brilliant about his system is you can tell that he put in a lot of really thoughtful consideration of how these things will interact with each mm -hmm. other and the different cool things he could do with them. Yeah. So, and kind of, kind of a weakness in that magic system too is because it's so metal based. If mm -hmm. there's no metal around, you're screwed. Like they'll yeah. be in a room, a wooden house, and all the people fighting them are fighting with glass and wooden weapons. Like mm -hmm. you can't, you can't use your magic. Yes. Yeah. And that is the thing too, is like, once you thought of your magic system, also think about people who don't have magic and how they might combat magic users and like what they would be able to do to kind of, um, what am I, counterbalance, I think, their inability to use magic um, and still maintain like their own power and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think I've made an extended version of this class where I do talk about how magic affects world building because mm -hmm. if, I mean, if it's super duper rare, you don't have to worry about it as much, but if it's really common, it is going to affect your world building. And it's really important to make sure you include that. Yeah. Even if it's rare, I would say you should think about it because it may affect like that area where it is, if it's only in one area, or like, even if you just have a place where they're like, oh, there's a sleeping god in this forest. And so nobody goes into the forest. Mm -hmm. It's still going to affect your world building in that way. Right? Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, you think like fantasy has magic and, and science fiction has technology. But if you're mm -hmm. writing in a higher tech at all, like a higher tech setting at all you have to ask well how is magic going to affect technology do they both just coincide do, mm -hmm. do you use magic more than tech or do you use tech more than magic right and i think it was isn't it sanderson who said something like you only need one or the other because they serve the same purpose yeah so like, I, that sounds like something he would have said you can't i mean like mm -hmm. so star wars kind of has both but star wars definitely is more tech heavy because the magic yeah. users are more rare yes yeah so but that's a question like if you have magic oh yeah that, that you know like this kinetic magic that you know moves mm -hmm. stuff okay well do you have railway railways or something like that really early on because mm -hmm. you just push your magic on it and now you can travel super fast 
Right. Well, and that goes back to commonality and accessibility because, like, mm-hmm. in Star Wars, there are, are, what, hardly any Jedi, right? Like, relative to the population of the entire universe or the galaxy or whatever. It's like, there are not that many Jedi. And so, magic hasn't affected technology because it is so rare. That's a good example, I think, of, like, I mean, they've got lightsabers, right? And, like, yeah. the thing is, too, our vision through the story that of that world is a little skewed because we are only seeing the story about the Jedi. Mm -hmm. So it could seem like, oh no, this stuff is way more common than it actually is. But if you like think about that world and like what the common person experiences, they like, aren't Jedi like a legend at at a certain point? Or like, I think at the beginning of the original trilogy, like they're just kind of a legend. So that is something where it is like, yes, uh, it affects your world building in that it, in Star Wars, I think it almost affected it in more of a religious sense, where it was like people who believed in the Force, it was almost a religious kind of magic. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, most people weren't affected by it, so it didn't affect their technology as much. Yeah. And there's also a technology we don't might not think about. Like, it affects your occupations. It affects how you communicate. It affects warfare and medicine are two really big ones. Yeah. If you have magic, you're going to fight wars differently. If you have magic you're going to be able to treat people and heal people differently. Yes. And yeah. And look, I actually don't know that much about Star Wars. So like, don't come at me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, one of the Star Wars movies is literally called The Last Jedi. So. Yeah. But yeah. I, mentioned- well, I'm trying to think if they use like kyber crystals or whatever that make lightsabers. If like they also Lightsabers are tech. Their- Matt's- lightsabers aren't magic. They're tech. Kyber crystals are magic though. And only Jedi can use lightsabers. So they are magic. They're a magical weapon. No. Well, at least in the new, in the new Star Wars movies that one guy uses, uses race That's why a lot of people thought that he might have the force. Look, oh. it's up I for would debate. Have- Listen, I can ask my husband. He knows more than I do. Okay. True Star Wars fans. <laughs> you let us know because i will say i guess i'm saying this like i come from a place of authority but i actually don't i don't know (laughs) but i always thought that that lightsabers were kind of a magical weapon that only jedi could use and i know finn uses them in the new trilogy um but i always thought that that's why people are like oh maybe he can use the force anyways you can let us know about star wars um on our instagram or facebook a lot like i've done star Mm -hmm. wars rpgs i've watched the movies but i wouldn't say i'm a fanatic so in my understanding they're just tech but i again i could be wrong as well Somebody let us know. Uh, I'm sure, I'm positive that there is somebody or multiple people who will tell us. I was raised with Star Wars because my dad's a big fan, but uh, we weren't like like full nerds when I was a kid. Like I became a full nerd as an adult. So I, yeah, I only know like tangentially about Star Wars Stephen and that I'm Colbert fond of it. Colbert's going to slip into our DMs. Uh, Stephen Colbert, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you mentioned religion. So no, again, he's the Lord of the Rings guy. Sorry. <laughs> he's a big Star Wars guy too. Is he too? Hi, no, he had this whole big spiel when people were losing their mind about Kylo Ren's lightsaber because it had the two things jutting the out of the side. Bars, yeah. And he had this whole soapbox about how it was possible and how you would align the crystals to make it work. And it was hilarious. He's he's big Lord of the Rings, but he is a super Star Wars fan. He was That's their awesome. opening night of like the first movie. Like he's crazy. <laughs> anyway, I can spell Kashik. That's all that matters. Um, so magic or religion. Again, if you have a lot of magic, that's definitely going to affect religion. I mean, mm-hmm. magic, if it's really powerful and cool, that might be worshipped. It might mm-hmm. supplement religion. It might replace religion. It might be religion. Um, yeah. 
Again, Star Wars, great example. Yeah. Of course. Carry on. Religious people might shun magic. They might accept magic. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. like, if you're going to have a prominent religion and your magic, you have to know how they're going to interact. Yes. Yep. Um, Obviously, magic and culture, basically what we're talking about. Um, It will definitely affect government. If you have, again, a lot of magic, there's going to be government regulations on it. There's going to be laws about it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have as much magic, it might not have any government regulations or the government might not know about it if it's new or they might just Mm -hmm. have a kill order for magicians, like whatever it is that you want to do. Or it's like Harry Potter where there's a shadow government for the magic users specifically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Look, there's a lot of cool stuff out there that people have done and written. And I just really like stories and I love how creative people are. Yeah. That's that's all good. Good stuff. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's magic. Do magic. Well, do you have anything else like, I guess it's like, look, we actually, I mean, there's a lot to say on this, but ultimately, I guess anything else we do would kind of be like exercises and stuff and just kind of examples. Um, If you guys have any questions, feel or feel like we could cover something more thoroughly or like you'd like us to, you can email us at yourmomwritesbooks at gmail.com. Or you could email us at yourmomwritesbooks at gmail.com. That's what I said. I know that's why it's funny. I'm so funny. My humor is above you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, something I I do tend to touch on when I talk about magic is originality. Uh, there's a lot of certain magic s- systems and magic ideas that have been done over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and they're done over and over and over again because they're very well loved. They are very well loved. Um, for example, I am elemental magic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I well, here's the funny thing. So, like elemental magic, right, is very, very done. I literally have a book on my wall that has an elemental magic system in it, though. Oh yeah, I was just say I just literally called out every single fantasy author in existence. Yeah, I have an elemental magic system in my single published trilogy. Charlie's done elemental magic. Everyone mm. has done elemental magic. I'm literally plotting a vampire novel right now. You know, and that, yes. that's something that's been done and done and done and done and done. But mm-hmm. it's done and done and done because we like it so much. Like elemental, like when you think of magic, the first thing I think of the, is the elements. And yeah. we take Avatar The Last Airbender, um, elemental magic, which I'm just like, oh, elemental magic. I freaking love that. I think that all the time, like, oh, elemental magic. And then I read the book. I'm like, well, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we should specify if, if you're confused. Elemental magic is the earth, air, fire, water. Heart. <laughs> heart whole <laughs> planet um <laughs> like it's just it's just like a very basic thing i mean i think even like um a darker shade of magic is elemental but darker shade of magic is a freaking amazing series i don't remember i need to reread it i mean well we just named captain planet like i said i've done it charlie's done it uh some of my favorite books as a kid had elemental magic in it it yeah. just is very easy it easily captures your imagination yeah so when i say originality i don't mean you can't do those things but mm-hmm. if you can do them in a new and interesting way, mm-hmm. then that's what's going to capture people's attention. Or like, so the the thing I make people do when I teach this class usually is I will go around my house and I write down a bunch of super random things like chalk, forks, thread, and I pass them all out. And so people get some random thing and they have to make a magic system about it. It's like, okay, make a magic system about crackers, go, you know? 
And people, it forces people to think outside the box and people will come up with really cool magic systems. Like I'll have people come up and like tell us what their magic system is. And it's Mm -hmm. really interesting when you start thinking outside the box. Sorry, I'm just thinking about forks. (laughs) Oh my gosh, get out of here. I do have Twilight on my list. (laughs) Forks Washington. Okay. Oh, nice. (laughs) I was just thinking about, (laughs) she's thinking about forking magic. (laughs) Forking magic. Holy forking dragons. Shut up. <laughs> That's I making hate. fun of uh, Caitlin's pitch first. Uh, it's talk. making fun of my entire series because my <laughs> main character says freaking so often that I would now uh, like to uh. die. So that's something I think I'll be taking out in my go over. Yeah. How much he's like freaking and I'm like, please stop. Yeah. But my point being, especially if you are um, still an amateur author, if you have a really interesting take on magic or a really interesting magic system, you are going to stand out in the slush pile. If yeah. you are like this and people are like, oh, I've never seen that before, it in- immediately piques interest. Yeah. And it's all we made by amateur, I guess, would be like someone who hasn't. Unpublished. Who someone unpublished. Yeah. If, as soon as you get, listen, this is what I, my choir teacher told me this once. When I was in eighth grade, as soon as you get paid for something, you're a professional. Yeah, there you go. I like that definition. So, yes, that's all. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other thing I do want to say, too, is that if you have to um, refer to your notes every time you use the magic because you can't remember how stuff works, your reader also is not going to remember how stuff works and your magic system (laughs) might be too complicated. Or you have to dedicate massive, massive amounts of page space to explaining it. And I am looking at you, Brandon Sanderson, because he has to do that in his... Like, one of the reasons Mistborn feels so dense to me sometimes is because it's like just long physics lessons about magic. And sometimes that's not what we want to do. And that's why sometimes it is like, I think it's very trendy, especially in the high fantasy slash epic fantasy world right now to be like, ooh, hard magic systems. And like, we need to remember that we don't have to do hard magic. It's still okay to do soft magic systems. In Brandon's defense, I don't remember being put off by that at all. Because I was in a, like, (laughs) I devoured epic fantasy when I read Mistborn. I devoured it. Yeah, it was, I mean, I love an epic fantasy, um, but like, well, if you look at magic systems like uh, the Aes Sedai in like Wheel of Time or a lot of magic systems in epic fantasies are kind of either soft or medium magic systems mm-hmm. where it's like they do have rules, but there there is a lot of wiggle room. Like yeah, a lot. there's a lot of wiggle room in the Wheel of Time. Yeah. And I would say I tend to write like a medium, like Charlie's a hard magic system writer. I've done for both. sure. I've done. You've done both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pretty much a medium magic system writer. Where it's like, eh, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep some things mysterious. You don't know what I can do, but I do try to always show. <laughs> I try to show if magic is going to be important. I try to like show that they can use it in that way before they do. At I'm least just like, nowadays, magic. Like, you don't know what I can do, and then you suddenly pull a bunch of scarves out of your mouth. <laughs> That just sounds like that. I'm going to put that in a contemporary novel and that's going to be just a girl on a date. <laughs> you don't know what I can do. Impressive. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just like, where would you keep the scarves? And I'm just like, she pulls them all out of her mouth and suddenly she goes from a D cup to an A. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the guy would do it. <laughs> I don't know where the magicians keep their scarves. Don't tell us, you guys. Don't, don't, don't tell us. We don't want to know. know. No, tell me. Only tell Charlie. Email us and say, for Charlie's eyes only. For Charlie's eyes only. Magician Keith, their scarves here. 
anyway, ear balls. <laughs> okay, we're falling apart. Uh, tell them, tell them, use your um, uh, oh no, your fifth doll book as an example of how you used a mundane oh object to come up with an original magic system. Okay, so fifth doll is an example of having a magic system that people don't just go do magic though. There's magic in the world, but you don't just go do magic. There's no like real magic users, but there's one sorcerer in it. And so in the fifth doll, if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead three minutes. So in the or fifth, something or something um, in the fifth doll, essentially this guy found a way to trap an entire Russian village inside a Matryoshka doll. Um, so which he are those Russian magic. nesting dolls? Yes. You don't know. So he yeah. has magic. Nobody else has magic. Um, and he got mad and he used magic to trap this village inside these nesting dolls. And he, he's getting old. He's going to die. He needs somebody to take over the dolls for him. Um, but in order to uncover the truth, the main character has to open all of her dolls. But every time you open a doll, something bad happens. And it actually is loosely based off of Freudian psychology. There's five dolls, right? That's why it's called the fifth doll. And each one is based like what happens is loosely based off of Freudian psychology. That's how I came up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like magic is the problem. Magic is the world, but there's no like, I now have doll power. Hacha. Um, Doll power. Doll power. Okay. If you can, guys can start listening again. But so that was, yeah, that was fifth doll. Which you won't know if you're skipping. Um, yeah. But also to like, okay, but this is like when Charlie's talking about originality and walking around your house and looking at everyday objects and all that stuff. I was on the phone with her as she was planning, helping her plan her magic systems class. And she's walking around, she's making these little cards and then she goes, ooh, Matryoshka dolls. And then she's like, I'm keeping that one for myself. And that was the beginning of the fifth doll. Like, I wrote the fifth doll. I, I outlined that book faster than I've ever outlined anything in my life. Cause I told my agent, I'm like, what if I did magic Matryoshka dolls? And she's like, send it to me. And I sold yeah. that book on proposal. I hadn't even written it. Yeah. Yep. Proposal so, scary. We'll talk about proposals another time, but that's proposal is what I I need (laughs) because I need someone in authority, like threatening me with a contract. Like if you don't write this book, then you're in trouble Mm -hmm. and then I will write a book. Uh, So for me, proposal is preferred. So, so I would say, um, I would say paper magician is more of a medium one. Spellbreaker is a medium hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Veins of gold is a very loose magic system followed by frost is a very loose magic system because I just needed to establish wizards enough to curse somebody and that's it. (laughs) Like I don't (laughs) go into it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what have I written? Oh, magic bitter, magic sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the one that I think of your, one of your harder magic systems was in a book that you never published, which was the teeth one. Her Majesty's Uh, teeth. Yeah. yeah. My body Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. yeah, there were people, people were, um, I actually have written two versions of this and uh-huh. someday it'll happen. But people who were, were mutated by the bubonic plague and they had the ability to spawn a specific body part anywhere on their body. So yeah. one of the main characters could spawn arms. And so like he could like get into a fist fight and suddenly have four fists. And mm-hmm. the main character could spawn teeth. Yeah, so she used them as like armor. Charlie had all this really cool stuff. Yeah, she would use them as like like armor and stuff like that. And, and like she had to always and, be yeah. like eat tons and tons of calcium because if she started spawning too much, the teeth would turn yellow and brittle. Mm. Or like she would spawn mm. them on her knuckles and then punch somebody. Yeah, it was pretty. I cool. still like that one. That's why I actually rewrote. I wrote a new story 
with that magic system. It was originally an epic fantasy and then I rewrote it as a historical fantasy. And I went mm. to revisit it like last year and I started reading it like, this is boring AF. I now know why certain editor we won't name didn't want it. Um, <laughs> but like, I still like the idea, but I just, I have so little bandwidth for my projects uh-huh. that once I run out of energy for a book, I have such a hard time going back to revise it. Not I. But you guys can't steal it because I just announced it to the world so everybody knows it's mine. Copyright 2017. I don't know when it was. Good luck, Charlie. Good luck with that copyright. <laughs> well, I think that's that is a sufficient discussion. Okay, let's name all the things. Write these down if you want to do your own workshop on your magic. So we had what the magic is, the source of the magic, the fuel of the magic, the cost of the magic, the weakness of the magic. Um, where the magic, oh, we said source. What else did we talk about? We talked about, so the ones from the book were source, cost, potency, which is how weird or strong it is, commonality and accessibility, which, you know, who has it and is it forbidden and all that good stuff. And then pillars of mastery. Good luck, guys. And tell us what the book is called one more time. It is called The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide. Prompts and Activities to Create and Customize Your Own Game World by James D'Amato, author of the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, which I haven't looked at, but if it's a good character creation thing, you guys will be hearing about it. And, um, yep, thanks to my friend for introducing me to that. And if you guys want to read more about Brandon Sanderson's Laws of Magic, you just have to Google Brandon Sanderson Laws of Magic. You could read the the whole essay. Yes. He has long, it's like the three laws of magic, right? Yeah, he's got three. Sanderson's I think three he, he might have a fourth. Who knows? <laughs> when I Googled it last time, it was only three. And uh, yeah, I think he has an essay on like each law, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's a, also a very good resource. And yeah, that's what we pulled from. We didn't really talk about soft magic systems very much. But yeah, like ultimate soft magic system example, Lord of the Rings. Gandalf's powers. What are they? Do we know? Not really. We don't care. It's fine. Yeah. So Yes. And it's a spectrum, is what I will say. Like, soft magic to hard magic is a spectrum. And you've got, like, Lord of the Rings on one side and then Mistborn on the other. on the other side, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. We update every Tuesday and we take questions at your mom writes books at gmail.com. Yep. I'm Caitlin McFarland. Um, I remain the author of Nothing You Can Find. So email me or us if you would like to <laughs> get a hold of something I've written. And send her uh, peer pressure so that she finishes. She's on her third book. I, yes. Thanks to uh, another one of my <laughs> D&D friends, uh, Raylene, who has been reading. She's been reading like, she's like, I want to ask you questions. And I was like, well, that I guess I better read so that I know what I can answer. <laughs> um so everyone thank her uh, if you care about me getting these books read. And yep, what about you, Charlie? <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, I'm I'm on Instagram at Words and Geekery sometimes. And uh, I'm also on Etsy at Words and Geekery if you want to buy a dice bag from me. Good one. Thanks. <laughs> should do dice magic. That'd be cool. D- dice magic would be really cool. Nobody steal it. Including you, Charlie. Just kidding. Sorry. It was your idea. I already I just wrote the book. 
gosh dang it, Charlie, not again. <laughs> um, I'm Charlie in Holmberg. I'm the author of the Paper Magician series, the Numina series, the Spellbreaker series, and the upcoming Star Mother series, along with a smattering of standalones. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and especially Instagram at CN Holmberg. You can also find me at YouTube at Charlie Holmberg Music and online at charlieandholmberg.com. Yay. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, wait. Do you want my pun? My pun! Oh, I'm my sorry! Pun! I almost deprived you guys. What's wrong with me? Do you know why I'm going to take the cover off of my my sound device? <laughs> because why? it's a magic mic. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you guys should see the face she's making right now. Okay, bye! Thank you guys. Bye! Bye!